Hello and welcome to Health Styles. I'm your host, Lori Banks. In today's episode, we're talking about birth control. There are a lot of options available today from the pill to the patch, diaphragm to depo provera, but which option is right for you? OBGYN Scott Meyer returns to share information and insight on the different types of contraception available, both over-the-counter and the kind you get from your doctor. Don't go away, we'll be right back after this. Women's bodies go through enormous changes throughout their lives, and it's important to find a medical provider you can feel comfortable with. Trust the team of doctors and advanced practice nurses at Sarah Bush Lincoln Women's Healthcare with your obstetric and gynecological healthcare needs. Call 217-258-4030 to make an appointment or visit sarahbush.org for more information. We're talking today with Sarah Bush Lincoln OBGYN Scott Meyer today about contraception and the options available through your healthcare provider. Dr. Meyer, I'm sure this is a conversation you've had many, many times in your career. Yes. Several <laughs> times per day. Yes. Okay. So let's start with since you've been in practice, what would you say are some of the more significant advances in contraception? I, I don't know that there have been a lot of significant advances as far as technology. Um, the, the main thing has been more widespread acceptance of long-acting reversible contraceptives. Um, so things like contraceptive implants and intrauterine devices have become much more acceptable to society, and their use is much more widespread mm -hmm. um, really over the last decade. With all the options out there, how do you and your patient determine what's best for them? What's that conversation like? Generally, I start with a conversation about what their short and long-term reproductive goals are. Um, if, if a woman is intending to become pregnant six months from now, I really don't want to talk to her a lot about long-acting reversible contraceptives just because they're not terribly cost-effective in the mm -hmm. short term. Um, but once we know her goals, then I, can, I, I tend to lay out every option available to her. Um, we have a careful discussion about the risks and benefits of each option, a really careful discussion about the failure rates of each option, and then I tend to let her decide for herself. Uh, there, there's pretty good data that shows that if I if a doctor points a woman in one direction, they're more likely to discontinue that form of contraception, whereas if a woman chooses the method she wants on her own, she's more likely to continue with the long term. And obviously, I, I don't want her to get pregnant if she doesn't want to get pregnant, so I want to choose want her to choose the option that's best for her. I should have asked this question when we started. What, are, what is the pregnancy rate if you use nothing? I know the, that, the data is a little bit sketchy. Yeah, that Generally, depends. people that are using nothing and are somewhat trying to conceive, the average pregnancy rates are about ten to twenty percent per month. Mm -hmm. So, even if a woman is using nothing, it's not a hundred percent guarantee she's going to get pregnant by any means. Okay. All right. Well, we can break down contraceptives, as you said, into kind of two categories: the short acting and the long acting. So, let's start with what 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 things are the short acting? What options do women have? Well, the first option is is contraceptive pill, mm -hmm. and there are two different types of that. There are what are called combined oral contraceptives, so they contain both an estrogen and a progesterone, and then there are progesterone-only oral contraceptives. Um, typically, the progesterone-only oral contraceptives are used in postpartum women who are breastfeeding just because they have less likelihood of affecting the milk supply in any way. Mm -hmm. um, they can also be used in women that have a contraindication to using estrogen. By and large, most women use combined oral contraceptives. Um, they are more efficacious, um, and they tend to have fewer side effects. Um, so that, that's what most women tend to use. Mm -hmm. 
um, birth control pills are approximately 95 to 98 percent effective. It depends a lot on patient compliance. Um, <laughs> the, the average woman on the pill misses one to two pills per month. Even with that, most of them do not get pregnant. But obviously, the more pills you miss per month, the higher the pregnancy rates. Um, then you have contracept the contraceptive patch. Um, again, it's a combined hormonal contraceptive. It has both estrogen and progesterone in it. Very similar to a birth control pill, just with a different delivery system. The contraceptive patch needs to be changed once a week. So from a compliance standpoint, it tends to be better because women don't have to remember it every day. And that goes on the abdomen area? It can go, really, it can go arm, abdomen, back. Mm -hmm. The main thing is keep it away from the breast just because the side effects increase Mm -hmm. and you put it close to the breast. Okay. Um, And then the third short-acting option is the contraceptive ring. Um, And basically, it's placed in the vagina by the patient herself. Again, it contains both estrogen and progesterone. It's just a vaginal delivery system. So the medication leaches into the vagina and the vagina absorbs the medication. So again, from a compliance standpoint, it's much better um, because the ring you only have to remember once a month. So are there any side effects, long-term side effects of being on any of those options? Yes. I mean, there are definitely contraindications and side effects. Um, Generally speaking, anything with estrogen in it can be dangerous, especially for women that have pre-existing risk factors for heart disease. So women Mm -hmm. who are poorly controlled diabetic, poorly controlled hypertensive, smokers over the age of 35, those are all contraindications to using combined hormonal birth control. Um, any birth control that contains estrogen increases a woman's risk of getting blood clots. So blood clots in their legs or, legs or lungs, which can be very serious. Mm-hmm. They, birth control pills tend to have a positive effect on women's menstrual cycles. So most women have more predictable bleeding and typically shorter and lighter bleeding. Um, most forms of combined hormonal contraception also decrease their risk of acne. So there are some beneficial side effects. Um, they, they lower women's circulating testosterone, which then improves acne. So there are some, actually some birth control pills. They have the FDA indication for treatment of acne also. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. What about with uh, patch and vaginal ring? Any side effects with those? They're pretty much the same as the pill. Because, okay. the, because the medications are very similar, the side effects are fairly similar as well. And there are like with the pill, and this has been several years since I've been on the pill, there's lots of options. So if one doesn't work, there's other strengths and combinations that you can take, right? Absolutely. There, there are The amount of estrogen in a pill now goes anywhere from 10 micrograms to 50 micrograms, mm-hmm. and there are various formulations. Um, there are pills that vary the amount of estrogen each week. Um, there are pills that have extended spectrum, so you only have a period once every three months. So yeah, there are many, many different combinations of birth control pills now. So of those three, is pill most common or the most widely used? It's the most widely used. Okay. And it's, it's still, they're very, very inexpensive. That's part of the reason mm-hmm. also. So for those short acting ones, how long does it typically take if a woman's like, well, doc, I want to get pregnant. How long does it take for that to happen? Um, I advise my patients that their fertility is essentially back to normal as soon as they stop it. So really? women can stop the pill and conceive the next month very easily. Okay. It really does not have any lingering effects with the pill, the patch, or the ring. All right, let's move on to the long-acting options. What are we talking about? Well, I, I kind of break them down into intermediate-acting and long-acting. Okay. So, so the intermediate-acting option is Depo-Provera. Mm-hmm. Um, Depo-Provera is an injection that is given once every three months. Um, it is a high-dose systemic progesterone. And from a birth control efficacy standpoint, it's close to 99% effective. So it's a little bit more effective than the short-acting options. 
Um, compliance tends to be better because you only have to come in once every three months for mm -hmm. your shot. Um, the has a, it generally has a positive impact on the bleeding profile. Some it's about a ninety percent chance that a woman will have lighter periods if she's on the depo shot, and a significant number of women on the depo provera shot quit having periods altogether. Mm -hmm. So they may go years without having menses. Um, from a negative standpoint, depo provera is the one form of birth control that does cause weight gain. Which Ooh, is a no big, one likes big that. Big drawback to a lot of women. <laughs> um, the average weight gain is about three pounds per year, so it's not dramatic, mm -hmm. but there definitely is some weight gain associated with depo provera. There can be some loss in bone mineral density. So again, that tends to be more of a concern with women as they're approaching menopause. Um, the other big thing with Depo-Provera is that it can linger in the system for a long time. So for a woman that does want to conceive again in the future, Depo-Provera can sometimes linger on for well over a year before fertility returns to normal. Okay. So even though it is designed to only last for three months at a time, and you can't rely on it for birth control beyond three months, and some women that last well over a year and may impact when they're able to conceive when they want to. So does the medication in the Depo-Provera shot, is that the same as what's in the pill? You're just getting a more concentrated form it, of it's, it? It's a different form of a progesterone. So okay. in, in, even in the, in the pill, the patch, the ring, really what keeps women from getting pregnant is the progesterone component of it. Um, so and what is, is I should ask, what is that actually doing? The progesterone, um, it's, it suppresses ovulation when you look at birth control pill patch mm -hmm. ring. Um, with Depo-Provera, it mainly thickens cervical mucus so sperm can't get through. Okay. So, and they and it has that effect with the pill, the patch, and the ring also, so it's kind of dual effect. Okay, but, so. Right. Mainly suppressing ovulation with the short-acting options. Okay, so if you're not ovulating, you're not going to get Correct. pregnant. <laughs> okay. All right, so we've got the depo shot. What's next? Then we have the long-acting options, and these are all now what are called long-acting reversible contraceptives, or LARCs. Um, and it's the LARCs have been pushed a great deal by, by my professional society over the past several years because they essentially are the most effective and safest option available. Um, the first one of those is is what's called Nexplanon. So it is a edonorgestrel implant that goes in the arm. It's a plastic rod that's about an inch and a half long and gets inserted underneath the skin. It is the most effective birth control on the market currently. It is 99.9% .9 effective for contraception. Mm -hmm. uh, it is good for three years. It is rapidly reversible. So if a woman has it in for two or three years and decides she doesn't want to conceive at that point, we remove the, the rod and within a few days her fertility is back to normal. Mm -hmm. Um, with that one, the main side effect is the bleeding can be very unpredictable. Okay. Um, so some women don't have menses at all with the, with the next one on insert. Some women have normal periods every month. Some women bleed every day for two or three years. Um, that does not sound like fun. <laughs> most women do not get that, <laughs> okay. but definitely there is a significant discontinuation rate due to the bleeding with Nexplanon. So how is that, what is that doing? I mean, how is that preventing pregnancy? Same thing. It's a systemic progesterone similar to the Depo-Provera. So it mainly functions to thicken the cervical mucus so sperm can't get through. Okay. And then we have the IUD. Then we have the intrauterine devices. And there, there are currently five of them on the market. Mm -hmm. um, and they're essentially two classes. The first class are progesterone-releasing IUDs. Um, so they're pieces of plastic with progesterone impregnated in the plastic that after they are inserted in the uterus, that progesterone then leaches out and is absorbed by the uterus directly. And they all function very similarly. It's just the ones that are on the market now are different sizes, different doses of the progesterone, and different durations of action. Mm -hmm. um, all of them are essentially 99% effective or greater. Um, all of them tend to make women have lighter periods or possibly no periods. 
Um, some of them are geared toward women who've never been pregnant before. So there are two of them on the market currently, uh, Kylina and Skyla, that are slightly smaller, so they're easier to insert. They're the ones that are intended for people who've never been pregnant before. Okay. What difference does that have in the IUD use? As far as whether or not they've had children before? Yeah. Um, the, the, the ease of insertion is definitely better if a woman has had a vaginal mm-hmm. delivery. So if their cervix has been dilated once before, it is much easier to place in a treatment device. Okay. But again, these two other, the two newer devices, Skyla and Explanon, were specifically made smaller so they can be placed in a woman who's never had a child, a okay. child before. Um, they're actually specifically geared toward adolescents trying okay. to combat the teen pregnancy rate, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Skyla is good for three years. Kylina is good for five years. So they're very good devices. The other two progesterone-releasing IUDs are Mirena and Liletta. Um, they are slightly larger, have a slightly higher dose of the progesterone. Um, right now, Mirena is FDA approved for five years. Liletta is FDA approved for six years. Again, they're greater than 99% effective. Um, and again, most women have either shorter and lighter periods or possibly no periods. Any side effects with either of those types? Um, the bleeding can be unpredictable for a while. Um, that typically resolves within three months. But I, I warn all my patients they could possibly bleed every day for the first three months. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, most women don't have a lot of side effects from them. Any long-term complications with having those? Not really. They um, don't move or slip out of place? The, the, or... they, can, they can move and slip out of place, but it's very rare other than if they fall out. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the side effects that you hear about on in commercials on TV and the Internet is, is actually from the doctor putting it in the wrong spot. So okay. uterine perforation is a possibility when it's inserted. If it is, it's embedded in the wall of the uterus. So what is the discomfort like for having those put in and taken out? Is it? painful it, it, it's what? it's highly subjective okay um, uh, you know i put a lot of them in after a woman has had a baby mm-hmm. and for a woman that you know recently had her cervix dilated <laughs> yeah, they don't even nothing. feel it when it goes in in most <laughs> cases um and you know a, a 16 year old it's a little bit more uncomfortable it can mm-hmm. be a pretty intense cramp and the cramping can linger on for several hours afterwards um, similarly pulling it out for most women it's a very mild cramp that lasts for just a few seconds to mm-hmm. a few minutes what about the implant that the one that goes under the in the arm um, under the skin? Insertion is it's similar to getting an injection of any type. Okay. I mean, the first step is to numb up the arm and then place the device. The only thing they feel real is the arm getting numbed up, and mm-hmm. we usually do that with the smallest needle available. Removal takes a small incision um, over the end of the rod to pull it out. That procedure takes five to ten minutes. It's a little bit more uncomfortable, but again, it's mainly just the discomfort of being numbed up before the. Procedure's so actually done. of those, the implant and the IUD, what, what are you doing more of that's um, more popular? I'm doing a lot more of the IUD, and it's mainly because of the, the bleeding with an implant. Um, I like them both. They're both very, very good forms of contraception. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tend to have fewer complaints about the IUD, so that's what I tend to do more So of. if you have an IUD and you decide, hey, I want to get pregnant, how long is it going to take for your cycle to come back to normal? Essentially within a few days again. Really? Okay. Uh, I generally recommend that a woman not attempt conception until she has at least one normal menstrual cycle mm-hmm. first. Um, the side effect of the progesterone-releasing IUDs is lighter periods, typically because they keep the lining very of the uterus itself very thin. I tend to want that to reset itself before they conceive again. There's, okay. no, there's no good data to back that up, but intuitively that's what I tend to tell patients. Okay. Um, there is also one more intrauterine device, which we haven't talked about mm-hmm. yet. Um, there is a hormone-free option. It's a device called uh, Paragard. It's a copper IUD, so it's basically a T-shaped piece of plastic with very thin copper wire wrapped mm-hmm. around it. Copper is spermicidal, so it works by killing sperm. Um, 
this device is also 99 plus percent effective and it's good for 10 years because it's hormone free it doesn't have any effect on menstrual cycles okay so for women who really really want to avoid hormones this is the best hormone free option available so of all the options we've talked about what's the most common that you're seeing in your patients that you're prescribing i think still it's, it's the birth control pill mm -hmm. and it's still somewhat of a societal norm that oh yeah i want to be on the pill uh, again, the long-acting reversible contraception is definitely becoming more acceptable now, more popular, but still the pill is number one. So from a doctor's perspective, you said early on it's it, uh, you can recommend, but it's really what the woman wants. As a physician, what what is your favorite or what do you think? What do I mean, you I recommend? like the long-acting reversible contraceptives. Um, it, it, they're, they have a much lower failure rate. They're much more predictable than what you're going what the woman is going to experience. They have fewer side effects. They're safer. So from my standpoint, they're the they're my favorite option. But mm -hmm. again, it depends a lot on what a woman wants. And some women are not comfortable with a foreign body inside their uterus. Some women are not comfortable with any form of hormones. Um, so truly, they have to they have to be comfortable with what I'm recommending also. So if a woman's thinking about this, what are some things she should be thinking about before she actually sees her doctor? Some things she should go through in her own mind. To me, the biggest thing is: Does she ever want children? When does she want children? That is because that's the biggest thing that kind of dictates which direction a woman wants to go in most cases. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about age range. Um, you know, you've talked about can anybody use any of these at any age and up to a certain, you know, obviously the older you get, the less maybe you need this because your fertility is changing. But are there kind of age ranges for the pill versus the shot versus an IUD? It's not really age-based other than in smokers. So mm -hmm. smokers over the age of 35, anything with estrogen is considered contraindicated. Okay. Um, and again, if, if a woman has other medical comorbidities such as diabetes, high blood pressure, that limits the choices to a certain extent. Um, if a woman has had a history of a blood clotting issue, so she's had a prior pulmonary embolism or deep vein thrombosis, that eliminates a lot of options mm -hmm. too. Um, but based on age, no, I have women who are on birth control pills clear up to age 50 and beyond. Really? Um, I, you know, fertility is diminished with age. It's not zero though. So <laughs> you know, I have delivered 48 year olds before. Okay. So, so um, uh, I, I definitely recommend some form of contraception for a woman who's still having periods. Okay. We've talked about, you know, the pill, we've talked about the patch IUDs. Let's talk about just barrier methods. Okay. So barrier methods are there are multiple methods available. Um, I'm not a fan of most of them because their efficacy is much lower. Mm -hmm. um, kind of the traditional barrier method that's been around for decades is a diaphragm. Um, a diaphragm is a device that fits inside the vagina and kind of blocks entry of sperm through the cervix. Um, it's typically used with some sort of spermicide in addition. Um, it's something that has to be fitted by a physician, mm -hmm. and then it has to be placed by the woman herself before intercourse. Um, it also, the size changes after a woman has a baby, so they have to be refitted. When you look at failure rates, the failure rate overall is in the 10 to 20% range. For most women, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. um, again, with perfect use, it's a little bit better, but with typical use, it is in the 10 to 20% range. Uh, the next barrier method is what's called a cervical cap. So that's actually a cap that fits over the cervix itself. So rather than blocking the whole vagina, it just covers the cervix. Again, failure rates are anywhere from 15 to 30%, depending on whether or not a woman has had children before. If she's had children before, it's more likely to fail. There are contraceptive sponges, which are over the counter. Again, they are impregnated with a spermicide. Failure rate is roughly 10 to 
Um, there is now a medication which actually changes the pH of the vagina, which in theory decreases sperm motility. Um, it's a tablet that goes in the vagina and then dissolves to change the pH. The failure rate from that one in very limited data was 14%. So there's one study that shows me efficacy. And again, 14% to me is unacceptably high, but it is an option. So if a woman doesn't want to be on a daily medication or doesn't want to have a foreign body inside of her uterus, this is certainly better than nothing. Mm -hmm. It requires that the woman place the form, whatever barrier, usually an hour before she attempts intercourse. So it's also not very spontaneous for a lot of women. Right. Um, and then, of course, condoms are also a barrier method. Again, failure rate tends to be 10 to 20%. So we have lots of options. We have lots of options. And, and there, there's one more option we haven't oh, okay. discussed yet. All right. So we, we haven't talked about emergency contraception. Okay. Um, so emergency contraception is kind of the, the last ditch. If a woman does have unprotected intercourse, there are still options available after intercourse. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are essentially three different forms of contraception on an emergency basis uh, there are two different pills. So people know this is the morning after pill. Mm-hmm. And there are actually two different medications that are typically used for this. The first one is Plan B, which is um, oral medroxyprogesterone. So it's a high dose progestin taken orally, um, ideally taken within a few days of having intercourse. With that, the failure rate is typically about 2 to 3%. So not terrible. So mm-hmm. much better than doing nothing. But it has to be taken within five days of having unprotected intercourse. And the sooner afterwards, the better it works. Um, another medication is Eulopristol. Again, it's a, a morning after pill. It's a little bit more effective than Plan B. The failure rate from that one is 1% to 2%. Again, it has to be taken within a few days of having intercourse. And then finally, um, intrauterine devices can be placed after a woman has had unprotected sex to prevent pregnancy from occurring. Um, with the copper IUD, the failure rate from that, if it's placed within five days of unprotected sex, is one-tenth of one percent. So it's essentially as good as if it were in before she had sex. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Mirena IUD, failure rate is about 0.3%. So again, almost as good as if she had it placed before having intercourse. So there are good options available. Um, the intrauterine devices are very expensive options for mm-hmm. unprotected sex. So if a woman you know, wanted an intrauterine device for long-term contraception anyway and happens to have unprotected sex, they're a good option. Despite all the advances we have in contraception, still almost 50% of pregnancies in this country are unplanned. So, <laughs> so um, if a woman truly does not want to be pregnant and is sexually active, I would strongly recommend seeing a provider to get on some form of contraception. Again, there are a lot of options available, and most women can find one they're happy with. All right. Dr. Meyer, great to talk to you. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time with us today. Remember to always speak to your healthcare provider if you have questions or concerns. The information we present in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be a substitute for medical care. We hope you'll join us again. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be the first to know when new shows are added. I'm Lori Banks for Health Styles. Thank you for listening.